0: In health and in sickness, for rich and for poor, with Nat twenties and Nat ones, till TPK do us apart. The heroes burst through the door. They knew there would be hostiles on the other side, as they had traveling through these parts all week. They knew to expect blood frenzy and the scent of blood and iron, as they had run into multiple gnoll squads before. They weren't scared and simply charged at the door, just like in all the previous fights against the Rockjaw Warband. The gnollsworth match combat ensued. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the TPK Podcast, the podcast where I, William Wadbrandt, discuss my thoughts about the design work that a dungeon master makes. In the first episode, we discussed the direction of the podcast, and also an our over- overarching view of the most boring encounter there is, the Goblin Ambush encounter. It's a great encounter though, jokes aside. Today, however, we're discussing the design philosophy. I'm going to jump right into it. So, before we jump into the design philosophy of D&D, which I employ, I'm going to discuss what is design philosophy in D&D? So, design philosophy is the mindset that the dungeon master has when they design their game. It's interesting how you decide how you want to get to each encounter, what is the goal with the encounter and how it will play out. You design the feeling that you want to convey to the players. You You really have to have some idea on what you're actually doing right now. Many new dungeon masters they don't really have a direction or a point of their encounters. Why are you fighting these gnolls, you ask? Well, they're there. They're killing people. Well, sure, that is a perfectly fine design philosophy foundation. However, in my eyes, you really need to get a more grasp of this. So, design philosophy is based around what the players in the dungeon master really enjoy. We build this idea, this overarching plot, all over the plot, we have this idea on this is what we're doing, this is why I design things, this is why I design something like this. Every single encounter and every single player and every single NPC and every single campaign and villain and everything have to tie into your design philosophy. If you don't have design philosophy, in the end, you might get a great story. d will always be great. However, you might get to the point where You don't really know what you're doing. Why did you have just this encounter? Design philosophy is more nitpicky than that. So, before we start, I'm going to discuss what is bad design philosophy in Dungeons & Dragons. Well, there is no strictly bad design philosophy, especially if the players are enjoying the game. That is simply true. The point of playing Dungeons & Dragons is enjoying the game. And this podcast and this episode is made to help you make a better design so you people can enjoy it more. However, if you guys are having fun, then you don't have to listen to this. However, they might get a point or something that you can like and you can include in your game and you can may improve it from there. The only really bad design philosophy in Dungeons & Dragons is no design philosophy. Even a bad design philosophy can be better than nothing. Because having an idea on why you did things and why is this encounter hard? Why is it easy? That gives a really really important look into your game. It's a very good pointer on what you're supposed to be doing. It will convey a better feeling in the end. Trust me on this. And speaking of bad design philosophy, in this episode, we'll discuss my design philosophy. You might not share it. Simply, you might not like what I play. And that is fine, this might not be the episode for you. You'll like future episodes where I talk about more general things. But this will be fairly specific. This will be how I play my game. And nothing more, really. At this point, you may ask yourself, why is it important? Why do I need it? Well, you don't. Simply, you really don't need to sign philosophy. However, it will be an underlying foundation how to improve your game. You need to have a point with things. If you don't have a point with things, it might be super fun. But trust me when I say that Dungeons & Dragons is the most fun when their entire world links together, where each encounter becomes a part of something bigger, something larger. And this larger is what we call a campaign. And whenever you play a campaign or a one-shot you will get different effects so the design philosophy will be different I will in the future talk at some point about the design philosophy of one-shot campaigns but now we're talking about a longer campaign maybe you play for four months maybe you play for six months maybe you play for ten years in any case design philosophy is really important it helps you to look at each encounter with a purpose you can ask what should I do to improve this well that's hard to say how do you improve an encounter you make it more interesting, yes, but how do you make it more interesting? And that's where design philosophy gives you a point on how to do it. It helps you gauge what what is next in the dungeon or in the secret event. It helps you gauge what should be the next point, the next thing that happens for my players. At this point, I'm going to bring up something that is incredibly important at this point. As this podcast is more aimed on hands-on advice, I have to bring up the thing that everyone will use and not like: the XP threshold and the encounter multipliers of the Dungeon Master's Guide. So, for a party of four level two players, a easy encounter in gnolls would be about three gnolls, and a deadly encounter would be about five, maybe six gnolls. Another hard encounter would be one gelatinous cube and one gnoll. Why is this? Well. Is because of the challenge rating and the experience points combined with the multiplication table in the Dungeon Master's Guide. These numbers are taken from the Monster Manual, the 5th edition of Dungeons and Dragons. So, by following this, you should have these encounters. Uh, four level two players fight against three to five gnolls. That is an incredibly easy encounter. And why is it balanced like this? Well, the tables are balanced to have 6-8 to eight encounters per day as I mentioned in the previous episode I'm not a fan of this. While you can have that many encounters, usually it's fairly hard and usually it gives better gameplay. Well why is this so easy when it's supposed to be balanced? Well in an encounter the dungeon master plays against all the players. There are often 3-6 to six players at the table and the dungeon master is alone. This would be like playing chess against three to six players while you're alone. They get three to six times as much brain power to power out strategy, to think about creative solutions. And this is not only chess with strategy. This is chess with an element of randomness and an element of creativity. So, basically, any encounter that is math-scaled, skewed to the players, will always be incredibly easy. An encounter that is skewed like as an equal so the gnolls are as strong as the players then the players will still have a huge advantage. The players have consumable items, they have cool abilities, they have, they have a large variety of abilities and also they have the creativity of the players which is the strongest thing they have. They can think of solutions that you could never think of and trust me your players will come up with things that you will never have in your journal. Because of all this You should aim to skew the difficulty of the encounter to the harder side, against the players. The players will come up with creative solutions to solve it, trust me, it will work out. To balance this, you should avoid running easy encounters and run medium to hard encounters every single time, with maybe one deadly encounter per day. Adventuring day, that is. While running medium to hard encounters, you should also apply the rules of the first episode. We'll go over some minor things here, but this will mostly be about philosophy, how you're supposed to think, not about actual designing it. To put a final point on the combat encounter difficulty, the Dungeon Master Guides cites an easy encounter as an easy encounter does not tax the characters' resources or put them in serious peril. They might lose a few hit points, but victory is pretty much guaranteed. In my ears, this encounter unless having some social implication in your campaign is an irrelevant encounter an irrelevant encounter that does not tax your players resources is an encounter that is literally a waste of time trust me on this point when making good design and preparation for your game you should aim at having an A to B to C kind of structure this means that you do not do too much preparation but you make individual points with that's known as encounters or social encounters, and then let the players link them together. You don't make a path and expect the players to follow that path, as they will always break the path at some point, trust me on that. And what you have to do is you make an individual point, say a gnal warband in the forest, and then you make another point, maybe a farm outside the forest, and you link them together with a piece of information that one of the farmers have. Uh, my wife was attacked while traveling to Trinketsberg, a small village on the other side of the forest what was she has talked about, he doesn't know the wife refuses to talk about it. They talk to the wife, they know about the gnolls they go and fix the gnolls. It's simple as that as you make a structure where the encounters lead to each other but they don't have a clear path in between each other Alright, now we're gonna get into the most important point of my design philosophy and my structure. The ups and downs of the game. Sometimes Dungeons & Dragons is heroic and sometimes it's hard, and sometimes there are losses, and sometimes it's relaxing. Everything moves in waves, and it's important to have all these pieces. This might be something that you don't want to think about in your game, but you really should. This will revolutionize the long-term structure of your game. This is less important in a one-shot, where, you, but it's still important. It looks a bit different in a one-shot, and we'll discuss that at some point in the future. Waves like this is incredibly important. It will make the players feel contrast between different events sometimes it is heroic and you defeat your enemies and you crush all opposing structure and sometimes it's hard and you even have losses and sometimes you can just sit there and relax and finally feel that this point in the game does not put any pressure on my playing my character the waves can be different for each player, sometimes there are individual lines for different players because. One player might have a backstory with a parent, and this parent might show up in the campaign. A very interesting and players are a huge fan of this is played correctly. But this parent, maybe they die, maybe they're in debt to someone, they're chased, and some issue come up. Then we can have different waves where one player has a really hard time and they have losses. But for other players it can be heroic or even relaxing but maybe one player has the ability to save everything but at the sacrifice of another player's parent. This will create an interesting dynamic where one player suffers a hard time and one player goes through a heroic period of play. This will keep the players guessing and they will keep them on their feet. You gotta vary these. There is a really important when talking about the ups and downs is that you cannot surprise your players. You have to have things more in the open than you'd probably think you gotta ramp it up and then slow it down in a good fashion and not surprise your players at all if there will come a hard time you should show the players this you should show them that this dungeon is not like the last this dungeon will murder you you should show this right at the door of the dungeon or maybe if you want it in a really really clear way which i honestly recommend if you're not used to this have a NPC tell the players this. Have the NPC tell them this is the hardest thing we've ever done. And the players might get cocky. But they'll respect your word after they die to that. Um, when they get to the dungeon, you have to show them at the door that this is really hard. This dungeon will test all everything you have. And if they still go in, they have to suffer. It. But you should always reward them when it's hard. There will come times maybe afterwards where it gets heroic and... You will show them that, they might know this though, but you have to show them that this point, it's time to be heroic. This isn't hard. You have the grasp of the situation. There is something called the fall, which is the situation where the players think it's heroic, but it's actually one of the hard points of the wave. This is hard to run, and it might disappoint your players, but it also might be really cool, especially if they can turn around and make it heroic really fast again. There are also relaxing points uh, where the players can feel safe. When the players feel safe, it will really contrast the hard times and the heroic times. There won't be much conquering to do, so it's not heroic, and there's nothing opposing them so it won't be hard, but sometimes you really need a relaxing game. When you're relaxing, there's no pressure on the players, it gives them time to breathe, it gives them time to enjoy the game. The relaxing portions of the game is a perfect time to practice your role playing, which is not something I will get into. Relaxing portions will contrast the hard portions, making the tough areas and the heroic areas seem really tough and heroic. It will make them feel like, okay, this time it's relaxing, but that other time it was so hard and it was so tough. This is why I say they will keep the players guessing and keep them on their feet, but you can't surprise them, because it will make the contrast so, so strong between these portions. Well, how do you make a game relaxing? Well... Don't have any hard enemies, and maybe don't have any enemies at all. This might be a, uh, an interesting point, but sometimes it's correct to just avoid encounters. You can have some easier skill encounters where noth- nothing is really on the line. Maybe they you know talk to some NPCs, or maybe they do some sports, or something that doesn't pick between life or death. But in common encounter, which can also be relaxing, even though it's combat, you can, to do a relaxing combat encounter, you should use enemies that the players have already faced before. New and mysterious enemies put stress on the players, and that makes it hard. Not knowing if they're just going to lose all of a sudden keeps the players on their feet, but when they p- fight something that they have already defeated in the past, that will make them certain what's going to happen, and that will make the encounter relaxing. I know that I discussed previously that you should not have easy encounters, but this might be the exception. You can't have too much relaxing time in D&D as it is very slow, however, it is important to say that everything has a time and this would be the time for an easy encounter. I would argue that a medium encounter is still easy enough that it will demand some thinking of the players but if they stay on their feet they will defeat it easily, which it rewards the players for being ready for what happens and remembering what's happening in the world. But the most important part is to not have surprises if you want to have a relaxing encounter, because surprises is what messes up for the players. When an orc suddenly bursts into flames and they run twice as fast as the players and hit three times as hard, then it's going to ruin everything for the players. But if they're just a few goblins, then the players will be ready for what's going on, and it will be relaxing even if the goblins might kill them. Ok, let's call some TPKs. Let's discuss hard encounters. So why make the game hard? Well, you do it because it's interesting. You make the players feel uneasy and fearful. When the players are uneasy and fearful, it will feel very rewarding if they ever get out of it. And there might be losses, but it will still be rewarding for the players who make it out. It creates an interesting dynamic and I will go over the, the, the points of this right now. In the hard times players have to focus, they have to scramble for resources and they have to be creative. At the end of this discussion I will give some examples on hard encounters I have run and why I like them and why maybe I wouldn't like them or what I wouldn't change. Hard encounters kills a lot of players and this might be very scary for a dungeon master to do. I am not afraid to kill my players but I will not outright kill my players. Because I know for a fact that my players are 3 to 6, I'm currently playing with 4, and they are so much smarter than me. They are so many really, really great people who will come up with the greatest solutions ever. The reason I started making Hard Encounters was that they, they weren't being creative. I just didn't think they were. But after I level up my game, I realized if I make it hard, they will be creative. Reward Because that's really what it does. It rewards players who are creative. Uh easy encounters will reward players who can roll dice, which everyone can do. And medium encounters will reward players who are a bit stronger at rolling die, who make their characters stronger, which I don't like either. But the hard encounters, that will reward players who are creative. It will reward players who are also prepared in the game. Maybe they will get rewarded for carrying tools. If you have traps, you get rewarded for being a thief with thieves tools and if you have a survival portion in the encounter maybe you get the ranger gets or druid gets rewarded because they have so much lore and information about how surviving the nature. You also reward players in their roleplay. You can create wonderful plot devices with maybe a sacrifice maybe one of the players the heroic fighter will have to sacrifice themselves, themselves to get out of the situation to save their party members. Why this is kind of risky and some players might not like it, Then, but this is really a great point for some players and enabling this is very interesting. Some players will fight all of them to the death and will cause a TPK, but some players will do their best to save their party members and maybe the party member gets out and they don't and that will be their choice. This also rewards the player for social rewards. I'm a huge fan of giving social rewards in my game because in my game, the social and political status of everyone in the game is very, very important. In a lot of campaigns, I will give social rewards instead of actual rewards. Instead of giving a magic item, which I give out very sparingly, I will give out maybe that a noble owes them a favor or a woodsman owes them a favor. And this enables a ton of different things. Um, Maybe the players can ask the noble to send a troop of bodyguards to help the players or in an emergency the, the noble will just show up and like haha or the woodsman will show up in the woods and show the players the right path to where they're going this really lets the players use the rewards you've given them in a medium and even a hard or deadly encounter to be honest without these additional rules then they will not have to use their items it's Very easy for a player to slaughter a hard encounter because using their abilities and their spell slots. But a deadly, with additional to these hard encounters, that will cause the players to have to use everything they have. The environment. They have to be creative with the environment. They have to be creative with the items they have on them. They have to be creative with the consumable items they have and the favors to call in. Maybe in the end, they don't have anything at all and they scramble and they will die but for those who make it out they will have done it with a wonderful wonderful solution. So let's discuss how to make an encounter hard. First of all, make it a hard deadly encounter. It's experience wise. It's really the only way to do it to start off. But in an encounter you should have tons of traps and Traps are not just, you know, pressure plates with um, arrows that shoot into them. I built a very interesting counter where the players managed to get out of the dungeon to rest because they were dying, and then it got back in. And when they got back in, the entire dungeon was just shut off and there was no lights. It was complete darkness. And some of them had dark vision, but it was still very dark. And in the middle of the room, they had the the gnolls had piled all these bodies that the players had killed so far and one of the players went up to investigate in this room it's completely dark and then they had you know filled this pile with explosives and then it blew it up and they made an interesting trap that wasn't just a trap it was an ambush and then all these gnolls rushed in and they made it an incredibly easy encounter of just a few gnolls because the players killed most of them it made it really interesting because the gnolls were ready you can make stealth very, very interesting. You can make traps where the players can't get out. Just things that pr- non combat things that make the players jump, make them be suddenly in combat, and they are not ready for this. The third thing you can do to make an encounter really hard is to have hard objectives. We discussed objectives in the previous episode, but things like Not having the encounter be about fighting. Having the encounter being about something else. So the player's focus can't be on the fight. They can get bombarded with arrows. Or maybe they're being chased by a bunch of bloodthirsty gnolls. But the players don't have time to fight them. The players have to save the little girl. Maybe they have to activate statues to open the door or maybe they have a timer of a huge snake who will enter the room and kill everyone spoilers I did this and I'll go over it in by the end of this episode and it's a very interesting thing where the players can't focus on the enemy but the players are still gonna get crushed by the enemies and these encounters you can't make too hard because if you make them too hard the objectives will take over and the players will die Because if you make the objective so important that the players can't even hit the person, they don't have time to hit the person who's currently stabbing them in the back, then you have an important enough objective. If you don't have an important objective that is not time pressured, then the players will kill the enemies, they will take a long rest, and they will do the objective later. You have to put time pressure on the players in hard encounters. You have to make them fight hard fights while being under incredible pressure. And... The fourth thing you can do is to have enemies that remove strong sides for the players. Things like this is maybe one of the archers are n- normally stays in the back and uses a sharpshooter feet to deal massive damage from afar. You can build encounters that doesn't allow this, you can build encounters where uh, there are something like walls or something that smoke or something that prevents the archer from doing this. Maybe you have a paladin who always rushes in and uses misstep to jump into the fray. But you can prevent this by having traps in the area. So when when someone teleports, they take damage instead or something like that. And then reveal stuff like this with perception. And this creates a very interesting point where the players have to come up with new strategies because their usual strategies will not work. The last thing that I would add to make an encounter hard is unknown mechanics. If the players have no information on what they're facing, then it will, they will keep guessing what's going to happen. One of my favorite encounters that I ran that was actually one of my first player deaths was my party was fighting a Bodak, which is a former cultist of Orcus that has vowed to uh, stay and serve his lord for the entirety of his death. This Bodak has an ability called Death Gaze which may cause a player who gazes into the Bodak's eyes to make a DC 13 constitution saving throw and then being re- if they fail they will be reduced to zero hit points instantly. The players weren't ready for this and they just charged into the room and there were multiple demons that were lurking in the shadows and they weren't ready and they just rushed in and they were gonna fight this undead. And yeah Long story short, they rushed into him having no information on the Bodak. And the players did ask to, do I know anything about the Bodak? And asked them to roll for it. But at that point, it was already too late. And their tank and their fighter, Victor Sarcarius, had fallen to the Bodak's death gaze And we instantly reduced to zero hit points. This is a mechanic that the players weren't aware about. And they could have found it out before, but they didn't. And this caused their fighter to eventually die in this battle. Because mechanics are interesting. It's very easy to see the basic mechanic of using a sword to hit someone. But when the enemy players or enemy creatures have a different way of causing harm to the party, then that will create an interesting surprise element where the players do not know what's going to happen especially if they have multiple abilities and they use one and the player's like oh god it's going to come again and then something even harder hits them this will keep the players once again on their feet and it will keep the players from knowing what's going to happen and this creates such a hard environment to create a strategy in and I really really recommend it I'm going to go over some of the more interesting encounters and dungeons I've run and I'm going to talk about the Tomb of the Unspoken a dungeon of my own design that was the hardest dungeon I've ever ran. And my players honestly came off a bit unhappy about it because it was so hard, but I'm gonna go over why that is, why what the flaws of the dungeon was and what was good about it. The first I'm gonna go over two encounters in this, and the first encounter was the door encounter. The door encounter was the front door of the dungeon, where there was a small hole in the side of a stair, where a lot and lots of snakes with venomous fangs came out, and the players had an actual battering ram to beat down the door, it was enchanted with the magical metal cold steel. And they had to roll strength checks to push this heavy heavy wagon with the battering ram up to the door up the stairs. The first snake came out after they passed a portion of the stairs, and after that I rolled a d4 openly. and. That for every turn, I take the d4 down one, and when the d4 hit zero, I spawned two snakes, the venomous fangs, per player. These snakes were very easy to kill, but they were spawning so many, and they were spawning so fast, that the players really have to scramble. Two players went down instantly, and the two other two players had a really hard time pushing the wagon, because they were very weak, and as they only were two pushing, it was really hard for them. But they used a fireball to burn away all the snakes. But in one turn, they were all back. So in the end, the wizard, Kykesus stood there and he slayed so many snakes. While the other players tried to get all the players up and ready to push the wagon. And they managed to push the wagon and use the batting ram. They had to use it three times. Each time rolling a strength check. Two of them had to use the batting ram. And they managed to bust the door open, run in, and bar the door. That was a very interesting encounter, because my players had not faced anything like it before. There was a infinitely spawning snake hole that the players could not see, and it kept spawning snakes. And the players had a timer, but they didn't even know what it was for until they had like fought 14 snakes or so. I love this encounter for two reasons. Reason number one, it has an objective that the players had to do, because they had no choice but to complete this dungeon. And it required the players to do this objective while rolling strength and fighting a ton of snakes. That was weak, but they required the attention of someone who could deal AoE damage, area of effect. Simply, what it ended up with was that the players struggled to roll the strength check, but the strength checks became so important. But they had to manage and balance this while cleaning up the snakes but the snakes kept coming and they kept dealing such a massive amount of damage that they almost needed someone to prepare fireball and burn their way and this wasn't even that hard of an encounter because a, a encounter that requires you to use multiple of your strongest spell slots that is a hard encounter but this encounter wasn't that hard all they had to do was complete i think s- a few strength checks like five and if they assist each other the strength checks weren't even that hard but the reason that i m- forced them to make multiple strength check even though it was one technically one encounter or one skill challenge is was because it kept it interesting because you could fail at one time and it was really complicated because this banner was so heavy it's a very interesting encounter and I recommend running something of the same maybe not that hard but something along the line the second encounter I want to discuss from the tomb of the unspoken is the final boss where the Naga, the spirit Naga of, that controlled this entire dungeon after a thousand years, came out of her sleep. And she was gonna purge this entire thing. She was gonna fill the entire dungeon with acid to slay everything. And the players simply had to escape because they had the information that they have found an escape path. But the snake awoke and she was so incredibly strong. This encounter is very interesting because, one, it's one of the do and escape encounters. And the players had explicit information. This is a way out, and the players were almost dead at this point. They had had so many downs. Uh, At the end of this, one of the players got nerve damage because he went down so many times. And what is interesting is that... The players had the information, okay, we have to escape, and it was so clear to them that they were completely screwed if they would stay in the dungeon. But then, this Naga came, and this Naga chased them, and they had to, like, navigate through this area with acid and rust monsters and things, and while this Naga always came into the room after 1d4 turns, so the players had to navigate through a room with enemies and acid and just try to escape, and after a d4 turns, so 1, 2, or 3, or 4, the Naga would burst into the room and start chasing and try to attack the players. The needle finally dropped when the Naga caused lightning bolt, uh, downing two players, and everything was lost. Simply put, it was too hard. When the Naga had ranged abilities as well, the players couldn't handle it. And this was actually the part of the dungeon where the players felt that this was too hard. Maybe it was but I still don't agree that it's fully incorrect to run this encounter like I did. My goal with all this was to make sure the players were actually using creativity and most of all, using all the powerful consumable items that have been racking up. I wanted to force the player's hand, and this is something that I don't recommend you to do unless you're certain what you're doing, because it can simply kill the entire party, and the players will just be unhappy with it. I got what I wanted though, because in the end, one of my bard, Art Belmont, stepped up, and he stood, the only player in the party still alive, and saying, Please spare my party. And he initiated an incredible roleplay to use diplomacy on this thousand-year-old naga. In the end, he actually managed to do it. Uh, but speaking of creativity, my wizard, Kaixus, drafted a contract with the devil. And he did this through a amulet that he had found in the first chest on the first treasure of this entire campaign that linked him to the devil Baelnir, the lord of the Boreal Athenium. and what he did was to draft a contract that got him out of this by eventually selling his soul. So I built a way too hard encounter for my players and while my players were not happy While it was going on, they were feeling hopeless, they were feeling dead, they were feeling cheated, to be honest. In the end, I simply explained to them, look what you did. You managed to come up with a beautiful argument, and you role-played it perfectly to talk with this thousand-year-old naga. And Kaixis, you drafted an actual contract just to make everything possible with this Bailnir. This is very, very interesting to me, and the players still weren't a fan of how hard this dungeon was. But, it caused them to be creative. And in the end, I think that they have changed their mind on this at this point, because now, we have run similar dungeons, and they have really enjoyed it. The last point is to how to make the game heroic. To make the game heroic is not very easy, but this is how I would do it. The players should face enemies that they have struggled against before, but this time they have a secret weapon. How you do this is by the players maybe acquiring a piece of information, how to defeat the enemy in hand. Maybe there is a demon lord that they have been fighting for a real long time and finally they have figured out a way how to defeat them. And the demon runs right into the player's traps and is defeated, when he did not expect to be. I want to know that this secret weapon must appear to be found by the players. You can't hand them this and say, okay, here, go kill the demon. You really need to find a way to let the players think, okay, let's ask this person, let's ask this person, and then figure out how to get this secret weapon on their own terms. So what will then happen is that the players will have this secret weapon that they found themselves. Maybe it's an artifact, maybe it's a piece of information, anything that can help them defeat their enemy. And then you put up, up against this enemy along with enemies that they faced before, they know how to defeat. And then when the lord comes forward, comes forward and the, he is so confident they will kill the players and it will be no issue, the players pull out their secret weapon and the lord panics. And the players will feel so powerful that they defeated the supreme being because they did the preparation that they needed. It will reward preparation, it will reward investigation, and most of all, it will make the players feel like heroes, like actual heroes. And that is what D&D is all about. Okay, to sum up all this, why you should have a design philosophy is because it helps you with each encounter. It helps you get a purpose to each encounter. If you look at an encounter, why is this encounter hard? How do I make it hard? Why should I make this hard? Well. You have to make it hard so the players will respect this bad guy so they can feel heroic later when they find a secret weapon to beat him. This is a really really good way to think about the game and I really recommend it. You should think about the importance of challenge rating and experience points and how easy encounters are not always great. The ups and downs of the game is really important and you should sometimes be hard and sometimes be easy and sometimes it should be heroic. It will give great great contrast and the players will feel very, very strong and very rewarding to do creative things. To make it easy, you should use enemies that the players have already faced, making them feel confident in what's going to happen. To make it hard, you should create tension by having really, really hard objectives or mechanics that the players aren't ready for, they've never seen before. Or even have traps that the players aren't ready for at all. Hard encounters rewards the players that with... The players with items they can use, it players with creativity they can use, or with social rewards they can use. Last thing is heroism. That when the players find a way to win something that it's really really hard, let the rules decide if it works. Let the PCs do their thing and they will feel heroic. Don't say no to what they're doing, say you can try, and they will try, and sometimes it will work and sometimes it will not. But it will be great when it does work. The heroes peeked through the keyhole of the door. They knew that this area had a gnoll warband squads wandering all around, looking for blood and sustenance. They had felt the blood frenzy of the gnolls, and they feared it. Some squads even had shamans who could easily sway the tide of battle with powerful magics. The tension was high, and the players were aware of the dangerous position. They were in the middle of a warband-infested forest. They opened the door, and inside, there was nothing they could see. Nothing but shadows. They took a step into the doorframe and heard a terrible sound of the flint, the most powerful of all the warband, growl. The fear sat in, but the heroes were ready to give everything they had, they had people to save, and this flint was the reason the warband was here. Combat ensued. This has been episode 2 of the TPK Podcast, the Dungeon Master Design Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you have any pointers, criticisms, questions, or advice, please contact me on tpkpodcast at gmail.com. The music used is taken from bensound.com. This has been William Wadbrandt, and I hope to see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening, and good luck in your next session.